Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? You know who it is. It's your favorite guilty pleasure. The Chad and Cheese Podcast, another episode of the Cult Brand Series. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman, joined as always by Julie going back to Cali. We are sans Chad Sowash today. Uh, Julie, if you didn't know, is president of RecruitmentMarketing.com, and today we are just giddy like schoolgirls to welcome <laughs> James Ellis to the podcast. If you don't know James, have you been living under a rock? He's the senior manager of employment brand at Recursion and also host of a little podcast that competes with ours called The Talent Cast. James, welcome to the show. Are we calling that com- competitive? I mean, I think my readership and your readership are really different. We're, we're both on we're both on Google Play, I think. I think we're both true. competing That's for fair. airspace on Google. Uh, so <laughs> for those that don't know you, what did I miss in the intro that you want our listeners uh, to know? Give us a Twitter bio. Poetry, Walks sure. on Lake Michigan. What, what's, what's James all about? Yeah. And by the way, I heard that you were in Chicago this weekend and didn't say hi. So what's up with that? But we'll talk about that separately, perhaps off the line. I am James Ellis. I got uh, this podcast. I wrote a book called Talent Chooses You. I've got uh, a newsletter called Employer Brand Headlines. You can go to employerbrand.news and sign up. It's free every Monday. You can get a little smart about employer brand. Uh, but right now, my big focus is, is getting season two of talent of, of the talent cast, which is an audiobook version of Talent Chooses You. So that's really kind of where my big focus is right now. So you got a lot of free time on your hands is what you're saying, yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, that sounds right. By the way, James, I was in Chicago on a little getaway with my wife. Uh, no, kids, no kids allowed. Yeah. So I hope you'll forgive me uh, by not yeah. bringing you into the date, if you will, of my uh, mm. my trip to Chicago, which was a lovely weekend for one day of it. The other two days were were rain and rainy and cold. <laughs> uh, speaking of sunny with uh, with spots of rain and cold. Sounds forgettable. You you're. You're everything employer branding. Uh, you wrote a book about it. You got a podcast on it. I'm curious, as someone who does, doesn't live and breathe this like you and Julie, what is what's the current state of the profession? Is it is it on life support after the pandemic? Is it rising like a phoenix? Uh, is it stable? How would you describe the profession? Yeah, I think uh, we were we had been kind of clawing our way as an as a profession, kind of a planting our flag, saying, "Hey, we're a valid function of branding and marketing." Uh, we are part of recruitment's kind of evolution away from post and pray and and and, and just transactional butts and seats sort of recruiting into something more. And then the pandemic hit and it just it just exploded. So right now you've all heard about the great resignation. That's really where we live. That idea that first off, if you think about employer brand as purely how do we attract talent, that's a way of looking at it. But real great employer branders, not that I'm going to include myself in that list. Uh, they see both sides of it. They see that employer brand is a means by which you attract great people, but it's also the reason why you compel people to stick around, thus limiting the impact of the great resignation. So for a lot of companies who had invested well in employer brand, they're not seeing the kind of seismic shifts of the great resignation, and they're the companies who are thriving. And I think that's led to a very, very strong job market for employer branders. Uh, you know, a lot of trend, a lot of movement, a lot of people shaking up, a lot of people jumping to the next role, and companies really realizing that it's not just this nice to have thing; it's an incredibly powerful means by which they can avoid the the the, the really ugly stuff, really ugly parts of the great resignation. 
And my assumption is they're in the minority that most companies, oh, yeah. from my perspective, like the employment brand folks were the first to go uh, when when the shit hit the fan with the pandemic. Is that your contention as well? And did were companies really quick to hire those same people back, you know, six months to 12 months later when they realized, oh, shit, uh, this thing might be over sooner than we think. And we might actually need to have a brand to bring people back to work. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, if you look at the macro trends, the, the businesses that really kind of shuttered the first couple of weeks of, of the pandemic, you're talking about hospitality brands, you're talking about restaurants, you're talking yeah. about theaters. Those are places employer brand didn't have a very strong foothold anyway. Larger companies tended to hunker down. They've maybe froze hiring. They maybe froze some of their processes, but they didn't do mass layoffs, uh, you know, much like a, a restaurant would. So employer brand wasn't didn't have a big shakeup that way. I think what's happening is that everybody who's got a couple years experience doing this and have a good couple good stories to tell about what they do and how they do it, they're just looking for the next step up. And you're seeing a lot of people come in from content marketing, from recruiting, from marketing specialists who realize they can take their skill sets and kind of move into this space, which is hyper-focused and hyper-specialized around the recruitment marketing relative industry, though it, you know, we could talk all day about how it's connected to all the rest of the company and saying, this is a great space for me to kind of plant my flag, to really focus my energies because it's a part of marketing that hasn't been incredibly prescribed, incredibly defined, right? You go to school and you learn, you know, in marketing, the four P's and all the other standard marketing stuff. And it means that marketing in, on the corporate side tends to be a little uh, paint, you know, paint by number, which is, you know, okay, that's a little unfair, but it's still pretty, hey, everybody has the same education. Everybody's leveraging the same kind of resources and ideas. Employer brand doesn't have that. The best people doing this stuff are making it up as they go along. To be fair, the worst people doing this are making it up as they go along too. <laughs> but that's the thing is we're all making it up. So there's so much kind of room. You're watching people say, hey, my focus on employer brand is all about working with comms teams to talk about and connect advocacy internally. Or some people are saying it's all about how do we get – you know, uh, review sites up and running and how we get, you know, to shine on those spaces. For some people, it's how do we tell our story via video? There's so many different avenues to do it. There's so many opportunities to kind of dive deep. And I think you're finding people saying there's so much room. Let's just dive in and see what we can do. I love how you just said there were two pieces there and like why employer brand was so valuable right now, right? It's the attraction to attract new talent, but also the retention that people are trying to address right now. People are now seeing that employer brand is a, is a solution for that and there's a demand for it. Do you feel like since the pandemic and since you know we've had the great resignation that there's been a bigger cry for it than before? Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at Harvard Business Review, which to me is like, it's a very lagging indicator, but it's 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 the middle of the industry saying, hey, this is what businesses think. This is the pulse check for business. And you're hearing so much about retention. You're hearing so much about culture. You're hearing so much about values. You're hearing so much about work and employee experience. These are phrases that were fuzzy bunny two years ago. They were just highfalutin or they were, yeah, yeah, that's nice to have. That's what that weird B Corp over there is doing. No, no, like now the big companies are doing it and investing in it and they're realizing we can't treat people like automatons. We can't treat them like human resources, that they're actually people, right? They're actually human beings and they have thoughts and feelings and cares and their entire world is complicated and we have to kind of build around them. That's really becoming more of the norm because I just see it in the places where I'd expect, ah, uh, that's that's the, you know, the the where the old thinking might be. So it's hotter than ever, but how has it changed? We're, we're working remotely more often. We're working with contractors and gig workers more often. We're working with a global workforce. How has the profession changed? It's gotten so much more complicated. Great employer branding is 
so I, you know, I, I worked with Talent Brand Alliance. We put, put together a nice long article about the 16 core competencies of an employer brand, which sounds crazy, but it's accurate. It's this idea that great employer branders know how to do vendor management and stakeholder management and content development and understand the, the HR and TA tech stack. And they know all these different things. But of course, that's impossible for one person to know all these things. What happens is you end up focusing and you say, I'm a great storyteller or I'm great. I'm great at the politics side. Like I know people who, and I won't name names, who are great employer branders because they excel at the politics side. That's not something I kind of stick my, you know, you know, that's not where I live. I'm more on the content creating side. So every, there's so many different ways to succeed. Everybody's finding avenues to do it. So as you get into this space where the market itself, what everybody expects employer brand to do, everybody's kind of looking and figuring out as they go along. If you go back four or five years, employer brand and recruitment marketing were almost overlapping circles of a Venn diagram. There was so much similarity. It was just buy ads, get on Glassdoor, make sure your, your ads are going to the right place, make sure your jobs are going to the right place, give it some polish. Now it's about... How do we get a thousand people inside our company to sing our praises in a line and structured way against our larger, either whether it's EVP pillars, whether it's values, whether it's culture, whatever it is, however your architecture works, how do we get everybody to sing those praises? How do we build content at scale? How do we make sure that the CEO understands their impact on the employer brand along with the recruiters and the hiring managers? So much has opened up and it, it, it's fascinating to watch people dive into these tiny little niche spaces, having success and realizing that there's no one way to solve their employer brand problem. So let's talk about the how there for a second. And one of my favorite interviews is, are the ones we do with Douglas Atkin, who literally wrote the book on marketing, right? And he, we talked about the state of the world with the pandemic uh, and how it would impact culture of organizations. And he hates the remote work uh, phenomenon. He He's a big fan of get people in a room, rub them together till, until they become sticky. And that's how culture is created. So from the how in your perspective, companies that are used to getting together, having social uh, social functions and creating a culture, how do we do that today? Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for the power of physicality, the power of being, you know, in person and proximate to each other. So my job is is, you know, remote, but every couple of weeks I fly out to Salt Lake City to be in front of my team and work with that team and, and get to know people. And it's incredibly powerful. And I don't think you need to be a hundred percent, you know, on, you know, boots on the ground. You don't need to be a hundred percent in the space, but building a culture does have a sense of proximity. It does have a sense of, you know, that is the friction of that. But I think the economy is starting to shift that I think you're starting to see a lot of people, even in the employer brand space, see that they can be very, very good at their job. Even if they take kind of a freelance approach where it feels like, Hey, I'm just good at making video. I am just good at writing job postings. I am just good at this one piece. I can work across the field to anybody. And that's where remote work really kind of excels, where you don't have to be in the place. You're a specialist. You have an incredible set of skills and you're, they're very, very nichely focused in that area. But given that employer brand impacts every part of the company because every part of the company impacts employer brand, People who are in-house do need to have some time spent in the building, in headquarters, going to offices, rubbing shoulders with people because that's how they connect. That's how they engage and, and kind of bang the drum of this is how employer brand works. Employer brand is very, very abstract. It's a very hard to explain idea where the employer brand doesn't exist on a piece of paper. It doesn't exist on a deck. It exists in some strangers' minds, what they think it must be like to work for you. 
Where that expectation comes from is a function of everything, the totality of what a business does. So being in the building, connecting with all those people to let them know that, hey, your customer service, your um, policies, your product selection, your channel selection, all that has some sort of impact on employer brand. That really is hard to happen in a remote space. That said, I think there's an interesting space where more and more companies are building not remote as a response to the pandemic, but more companies are going fully distributed, not because of the pandemic, because they just realize that they can connect better talent from around the world into one spot. I think that hasn't been well documented yet. Places like Automatic, uh, 37 Signals, they're fully distributed. There's an opportunity to build culture fully remote, fully distributed. There's just not enough examples of it yet to say, ah, someone's cracked the nut. You've mentioned before about the politics and employer branding. Uh, what kind of politics are people facing? <laughs> that is a great one. Because um, I'm not a great, the joke, of course, is that I have a poli sci degree. That's where I, what I spent my time in school thinking about. I'm horrible at politics. I'm abs- I know, right? Who went to college? Um, boo, higher education, I guess, is what Joel just Politics. said. Yeah. Okay. That's better. Here's the deal. An organization, when you put it together, everybody has separate agendas. Everybody has something, things they want to achieve. And in most organizations, in my experience, those agendas do not line up a hundred percent of the time. That's just how humans are. Everybody wants their bonus. Everybody wants their team to shine. And if it happens to happen in a way that kind of you know, Nix is somebody else. That's just how the cookie crumbles, right? That's just a cutthroat world. That's the dog eat dog situation we're in. That means that if you're looking for buy-in, budget, uh, resources, that requires a political kind of hand on the tiller. You need to be in a place and you need the skill set to say, I know how to talk to a recruiter to get them excited about what I'm about to do. I know how to get talk to the TA VP to get them excited by what I do. I need to talk to the marketing VP or CMO to get them excited by what I do. You need to get the business excited by what you do. You need to get leadership excited by what you do. Everybody has to come together to say, we are willing to change even slightly our way of doing business, our messaging going out to align to a broader idea around employer brand. That is not something you can just make happen because employer branders, I don't care what your title is, have no authority. They are influencers. And and we say that in the positive sense and not in the Kardashian sense. They are there to influence the conversation. They are there to influence people they have no direct authority over. I can't tell my CEO, you have to do this or, you know, this is going to fail. It's going to break. I don't have that authority. I don't have that power. I can't make anybody do anything, but what I can do is educate. What I can do is excite. What I can do is amplify. What I can do is really kind of connect what I'm trying to do to their agenda to show how helping me serves them. That's the game of politics. That's all it is. Doing that really, really well opens doors across the organization. It opens budgets across the organization. That's where a lot of people find incredible power. So you have to do internal campaigning before you can create a campaign externally? Exactly. Yeah. And it seems kind of crazy, but that's, you know, the, the, the people I think about when, when I think about who does it well, they are so good at getting people internally excited by the idea and the prospect of an employer brand. They understand what to get out of it. I think employer brand still talks about the concept of what we do very loosely, very abstractly. It's like, oh, it's great, great for a strong brand. What's a strong brand worth? It's great for a strong brand and you, you know, you run away and you hope that conversation never happens. Great people who are great at politics really understand how to take that idea and connect it to someone else's agenda and say, this is going to help you hire this person, keep you from losing people, you know, change the culture of how you do business, increase opportunity, you know, uh, optimization of the process of how you do your work or how you 
onboard people. Um, it's going to give a culture shift so that more people are engaged with the work and that you're really extracting more value out of each person and the, the team as a total. That is a magical ability. It requires the understanding of what a brand is, but also what those elements of the business are, what that that other person's agenda is. And no one walks around with a sign that says, my, you know, my agenda is that I want to become CEO one day. No one has that sign. So politics says, I understand that you're a VP of blankety blank, and one day you'd like to be CEO. How do I give you some value that gives you half a step in that direction, whether it's here or someplace else? Because when you do that, you help me. That's the game of politics. In, in, in light of uh, some political tug of war, um, curious, your opinion on the state of, I guess, holistic brand versus employment brand. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's an argument that you don't even need an employment brand if you have a strong, holistic brand like a Nike or you know something culturally relevant. But in a world that we're living in now, where the workforce is more global than ever, remote work, you know, there there used to be a time where a local employer would hire local people, and there would be a local brand that they could all rally yeah. around that everyone knew uh, and had 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 some gravitas. Well, if you're a local brand and you hire someone a thousand miles away, that holistic brand in your local market has zero meaning. So right. I guess you could almost argue that employment brand, uh, some of the, the advantages going to that uh, and building that brand online and what that looks like. What's your take on holistic versus employment brand? Is is someone gaining in the in the world as it is? Is someone losing? What's your take on that? So I'll take it a step further and say, ultimately, even if you don't invest in your employer brand, you have an employer brand. You just aren't intentional about it, right? If you choose to not manage the message and understand what you're trying to say to the world, people are going to read things on Glassdoor and Comparably and Power to Fly and and Fairy God Boss. They're going to have neighbors who work for you. They're going to see your stories in the news, whether they're good or bad. They're going to touch your products. They're going to use your products. They're going to try and return your products and engage in your customer service. All of that leads to the employer brand. You may not spend a dime on employer brand. You may not have anybody with a title of employer brand, but guess what? You got one. What an employer brander does is manage those perceptions as best they can. I would say you're 100% right. I don't think there are some companies with holistic brands. I think all companies have holistic brands. They just treat them holistically. You look at like a Spotify or a Delta or there's so many companies where they their focus isn't about we're going to create an employer brand. It's about we have a core brand and everybody, you know, think of the brand as a, as a lens or a prism. And the employer brander looks through that lens to look at and talk to candidates or prospects. The investor looks at that same brand and looks at institutional investors. The consumer marketer looks at that same brand and looks at potential customers. It's the same brand. That's where I think the power is. Like To me, the, 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 the maturation model of employer brand starts by, I'm a bunch of recruiters putting butts in seats, and it ends up in this idea that we have a shared single sense of brand that we are all working on collectively, that Everybody in the brand team knows that when the employer does something powerful and showcases a person working, that's something that the consumer or investor or marketplace marketer can use to say, these are the people building these products so you can feel good about buying these products. The same goes that the other way around. The employer brand knows that when the consumer marketer goes does a great job and has a great commercial or a great ad or the stock price goes up, they can say, look, we're a great company. Those things are completely interactive. They're collaborative. That's where companies are trying, when the smart ones anyway, are trying to get to. I think a lot of companies are kind of stagnated on the, hey, we have a great employer brand, end of paragraph. Let's talk about our consumer brand as if they're unrelated. And they're not. They are the same. It's just how do you treat them? Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. 
We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. I love that you brought up um, Glassdoor and comparably, obviously, our listeners will, will know those those players. And and I think that that business is going through some tectonic tectonic shifts. Is that right? Yes. You went to yes. college. You you answer that one. Uh, so yes. So. Today, you know, we talk about on our weekly show uh, about quit talk, right? That people are on TikTok uh, <laughs> quitting, quitting their jobs live, right? Like recording it and posting it and talking about their experiences. Well, that stuff doesn't show up in Google, a uh, Google search, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. show up yeah. on Glassdoor. And, and I think the idea of sort of providing Yelp-like reviews on employers is a bit of an antiquated idea. What's your take on um, on that phenomenon of mo- moving to video and social media as opposed to the, I guess, the old standards of review sites. And how does a company manage that? How do they monitor it? How do they kind of get their hands around it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you're probably right in that the idea of a Yelp-like site where people go to leave their reviews is a bit of a and forgive, you know, and I'm almost 50. So when I say this, I cringe myself of a web 2.0 kind of methodology and modality. This idea that everybody goes and Google searches for the piece of information they need. They get the information they do take with it, do with it what they will. That made a lot of sense five, 10 years ago. Today, less so. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I think there's plenty of data that shows people are still using those sites as data points, but there's a lot more data points and there's a lot more data points that, you know, to your point that are not Googleable. They are the quote unquote dark web of, you know, how people find information. To me, the fact that the quitting happened on TikTok is interesting because that person was going to quit anyway. That person had friends any there and they're going to happily tell them the amazing story, possibly while drinking, of when I totally my, told my boss to suck it and dropped a cake and said, hey, you know, my, my, my joke is always, if I ever wanted to quit a place I hated, I would just leave a cake that just says, eat me. And I quit. And that's all it would say. And it would be like, I brought you a cake. It, it was a nice way of quitting. That would be an amazing video. But I still would have done it anyway. I still would have quit. I still would have made a big you know, fuss to my own local network. The fact that it can go viral now is an interesting wrinkle. Ultimately, this all leads back to this idea that companies can't segment and uh, compartmentalize their thinking and approach to employer brand. Employer brand is all the things you do, all the things you do becomes your employer brand. So if you're going to hire people poorly, if you're going to train them poorly, if you're going to make them feel like they have to become robots who have social security numbers, if you're going to treat them like you know, and I, if, if you ever look at Reddit's anti-work channel, I highly recommend it. It is fascinating and hilarious all at once about people complaining about the stupid stuff their companies and bosses make them do, the stuff that any sane human being would say that's laughable, and yet it's an everyday occurrence. Lots of businesses have not figured this out, that treating people poorly leads to them people treating them poorly. It's just, you know, it's the golden rule, Right. Businesses don't think they have to abide by that. A lot of them. A lot of them do, but a lot of them don't. So I think as 
this kind of information moves out of a Yelp model and into a more distributed model, it makes the job of an employer brander harder, but it also means there's more channels that they know are useful. Now, why can't an employer brander make a TikTok video about how great it is to work? Now, nothing so heavy handed, hopefully, but something like that. Use the weapons. You know, every strength is a weakness. Every weakness is a strength. If this, if this channel is hurting you, take over that channel and start to use it on your behalf. There's no winning that game, but it is about how do you manage that process? I will add, there's a really interesting idea that if people are going to be willing to quit publicly and sometimes live in the moment, why haven't we turned that around and say, do people search for jobs publicly and live in the moment? Why aren't job searches entertainment? We shop for entertainment. We go, you know, we, you know, whether it's QVC or Amazoning or walking around a store, we shop for entertainment. Why can't we job search for entertainment? Why can't we do it publicly? Why can't I open a Discord channel and says, hey, everybody, I just quit my job at blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go look for a job. Take a look. Take a look at my resume. Take a look at my LinkedIn profile or what have you. Give me ideas and feedback and let's tell jokes while I'm doing it to make this horrible process of putting my information in ATS some more, a little bit more palatable and we can do it collectively and together. I think that's coming down the road, this idea of public and entertainment driven job searching. That's just my thought. Well, one, it, one, it takes work and two, it's hard to compete with someone dunking their scrotum into the ice cream machine as entertainment value. That's, that's part <laughs> of the reason. That has, that has its own entertainment value on some <laughs> level, I'm sure. Only for people like me, James. Only for people like me. <laughs> Well, I, I know that, you know, people are look at companies to say, hey, what's going on in there with Glassdoor? But they're also looking for ways to connect, like social responsibilities become something that companies are investing in. They're looking for that both on the consumer side and on the candidate side, because people are searching to understand what does this company do to make an impact on the world? Would corporate social responsibility be something you would consider part of the responsibility of an employer brand? I don't know if the word responsible is the right word, but I definitely know they're connected. I definitely, so in my own job, I, I work hand in hand with um, the comms team that runs the ESG reports and they do all that work. It helps me tell my story. They tell their story. Do we leverage each other's resources? We connect the dots. I think the problem is, and, and I'm going to go ahead and beat up on, an, on ATSs in general as an industry. You'll excuse me, I imagine, because no one likes their ATS. Much like no one likes their cable company, no one likes their ATS. Everybody thinks there's a better one out there. There isn't. They all are hard and painful. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. I'm sure there's some companies out there who would love, love so to tell me how I'm wrong. Your point has changed on ATSs. That's, that's, yeah, right. that's refreshing. That's refreshing. <laughs> but this idea that the ATS has forced recruiting to say recruiting is all about shoving people through a funnel as fast as humanly possible, at processitizing, uh, optimizing, uh, all this idea that how do we remove the humanity from the concept of looking for a job? And as much as, and honestly, it's, I, as, as, as much as I like to dunk on ATSs, let's be fair, corporations in general have been doing this since the 50s. You just have to look at the man in the gray flannel suit in the organization man book. It's been happening over time. You can go back to tailorization. Anyway, that's a history lesson we don't have to get into. <laughs> but we've been forcing people to remove their humanity a little bit every single day. And this has been a big swing to say, you know what? Maybe we've taken this way too far. Maybe there's value in leveraging our employees' humanity and take humanity to mean whatever you want, the things they care about, the things they sweat about, the things they are passionate about. Don't you want employees who are passionate about the work you do? If the work you're doing is about 
and you can take it to saving the whale, saving the planet. But if the work you're doing is about making a stack of cash, if they're passionate about it, aren't they better at it? Well, you can't bring the passion if you feel like you're completely disconnected from your humanity. Just look at, if you've watched Severance, first off, if you binge watch it, you will have weird dreams about your work. I will promise you that. My wife and I were both like, are you having weird work dreams? Like, yes, I totally am. It's an amazing show, but it's this idea that how do you remove the humanity from work and what are the after effects? Totally Philip K. Dickian. It's amazing. Yes, I said Dickian. It's okay. It's a word. Um, we'll accept but it. this idea that humans can pretend to be non-humans, they can pretend to be cogs, it, it's gone. We're done. People want to be people. That's where the great resignation is really all about. It's this idea of people saying, I, I want to give my humanity. I want my, my moment, my life to have some meaning. And the reasons businesses exist, and when's the last time you heard anybody say this, is so that a group of people can achieve more together than they could individually. That's literally the reason why businesses started. It doesn't feel like that's why businesses exist anymore. It feels like businesses exist so we can make the owners of the business richer. And it doesn't help me. The more businesses realize that they can are, are there so that each individual participant, each employee, each contractor, each vendor is there to do more than they could individually, the more they lean into that idea, the less they're going to have to worry about resignation, the less they're going to have to worry about bad reviews, the more people are going to connect to their humanity and who they are. And that turned into a real kind of rallying cry of fuzzy bunniness on my part, which I don't think I personally expected, but here we are. So let's keep the uh, the dunking competition on uh, ATSs and technology uh, going, or or maybe not. We we reported recently a study that ninety two percent of people, uh, job seekers, who actually click on the apply button, ninety two percent do not complete the process. Yeah, what can employment brand do about that? Uh, we see technologies <laughs> come along. Uh, that say, you know, chatbots can cure it because Ugh. nobody exits and it's a ghost killing machine kind of thing. Um, I always I'm always curious how we don't treat uh, apply to a job similarly to how we uh, we use shopping carts online. If I <laughs> abandon a shopping cart, I get an email, you know, the next day saying, hey, did you forget something and inviting me to come complete the process? Uh, yeah. I don't think that happens with jobs, but it should. Uh, I think you'd yeah. probably agree. What's your take on on that? How do we fix it? Does employment brand have any hope of working with technology and fixing some of these or is it just simply hopeless? I, I don't think it's hopeless. I, I'm going to leverage a Kanye story. If you wanted to listen to the most recent Kanye album for a long time, you had to wait until Kanye literally showed up to your town in a stadium, bought a ticket showed up in a COVID kind of situation and listened to the record with him. That was the only way to do it. Now you think, but I have Spotify. I can listen to 4 trillion songs. Why would I want to do that? It's because Kanye fans desired more Kanye songs. They had so much love for what he was doing. They were so desperate to hear more information. They were so excited by the idea of what the new song or the next album was going to be about. They went to freaking Soldier Field to listen to an album. No one should want to do that. What's my point? My point is that if you create enough desire for what you're offering, people are more than willing to jump through infinite hoops to get what they want. The problem is most companies don't think they need to explain why their job is amazing or what someone should get out of it. It's simply, I have a job, thus I have all the power. I will dangle it like a carrot in front of you. You just run and jump through my hoops the way we want. That worked 10 years ago, but it doesn't work now where I have infinite choice of places I could work. If I have a deeper understanding of what the business is really about, what the culture is really about. If a company 
knows and invests in how to create desire for their jobs. Obstacles don't matter. You could use an ATS that simply write it down on a piece of paper, stick it in a carry your pigeon's butt and fly it out to our, our headquarters and they, people will apply. It's not like, like Google gets so many applications, not because they have the best ATS, but because everybody wants to work there. The problem is a problem of desire. And if you don't stoke and invest in that desire, the easiest process are only going to collect people who are willing to, okay, sure, I guess I'll apply. They'll apply to any job, not your job. And what you want are the people who want to work for you and they have a good reason. They have a compelling reason. They have data points that prove that case. They want that thing. The reason they want that car is because they see it every day and they see people driving. It looks exciting and they've done the research and they want that car. They'll wait six months for it to come to take delivery because they want it. If you don't stoke desire, making an easier way to click apply and make an easy reply is just going to collect the wrong people you're looking for. So that's that's my take on how employer branding really can change the thinking around ATSs. It says, look, it's an obstacle. It's a, it's a, it's a hurdle. It's a database for, for HR, not for TA, let's be fair. Don't You can't change it. So how do you get people to overcome it, to be willing to take the steps to overcome it? You stoke that desire. And I hope Taco Bell's listening because if they just offer a Chalupa Supreme at the end of an application, they'll see a huge rise in the people that want to work at Taco Bell. And they tell, tell they should tell a whole story around at the end of this process. There's a whole taco stand for you. It, that's the stuff that people go, cool, I want to be involved in it. And it's, that's the creative thinking that employer brand should be more involved in. I think we're getting there. It's a slow process because these industries change slowly. But yeah, I think that's where we really have the most impact. Um, you're making me want tacos right now. Who doesn't want tacos? <laughs> What are you going to do? It's lunchtime. Actually, every day is, every time is lunchtime. for me. It's always lunchtime somewhere. I'll be throwing this question. I thought this was a great one that I've heard you speak to before, but what is the biggest misconception that employers have when it comes to employer brand? <laughs> well, I've already talked about one that is the idea that you already have one. You, are, you, you don't need to invest in it. You already have an employer brand. The other one I think is most interesting that business can kind of forget is that employer brand doesn't have to be expensive. Places like Glassdoor spent 10 years convincing you that the second someone said employer brand, you should cover your wallet because this is going to be a five-figure kind of investment <laughs> just to start, just to start. Um, they, you know, it became an act of pickpocketing. It became an act of um, how do we extract as much cash? I don't know. Let's do strategy. I don't know if they'll take strategy. How about employer brand? Like that was the way. You know, you want to say blackmail so oh, badly. Oh, I, I, I didn't want to say it. I'm glad someone else said it. I, I'm not disagreeing with it, but I'm glad I didn't have to say it. <laughs> Sorry. The trick is, no, thank you. The the trick is your employer brand is everything you do. There is no inherent tech stack to your employer brand. Your employer brand is affected by your ATS, but is your ATS your employer brand? No. Your employer brand is affected by your product selection and where you're going to market, but is that your employer brand? No. All those things impact your employer brand. So if you want to shape the perception of your employer brand, One, you should talk to all the people in your company who are making the touch points and experiences that a stranger might have about your company. You want to make sure that when they call in to have customer service, they actually get service and not treated like a number or treated like someone, hey, how do I shunt this call off? They need to feel like this is what the company is really about. The employer brand is just a sense of what it must be like there to work there. So understand what that sense you want to instill is. Look around you in a complete 360 and say, what are all the ways someone might get that sense and change? Then you look and say, how do I spark interest in this? Now, I've, I've, I've made the joke before that, you know, what does an employer brand cost? Like, well, I don't know. What does sidewalk chalk cost? 
if I'm looking for you know Python developers, I go to Python PyCon, which is happening yesterday or today, and just right in sidewalk chalk in front of the buildings, really interesting messages. Now, the fact that I have no money forces me to say, what is something compelling I can say? What is a message that's going to matter to this specific audience? It's not to nurses, not to sales leaders, not to future CEOs, but to Python developers. What do they care about? What are their challenges? What are their points? Why would they love to work for me? Distill that, come up with a creative package that makes people go, huh, that is really interesting. I want to learn more, which by the way, is what an employer brander's job is, is to make strangers go, huh, I had no idea. I want to learn more. That's the job. You can write in a couple of times in Sidewalk, Chuck. I I take the applause. Um, I, I don't think I've invented that, but I'll take it. You write it and package it in sidewalk chalk or, you know, mimeograph some, you know, some flyers, right? How, you know, how, how cheap can we get? Um, mimeograph. Smoke signals. Exactly. Whatever it takes. You know, if you can just hijack the microphone for 10 seconds and say something interesting, that's all it takes. It's not about the tech stack. It's about understanding who you are, understanding what your audience cares about, connecting the dots in a compelling and creative way and putting it in front of them. None of that has anything to do with a website or glass door reviews or a job posting or anything. It's about how do you want to make that happen? Taco Bell, their best case for employer branding is a strong message at the bottom of every taco wrapper, right? So it's a huge audience they want to reach. That's the audience they want to hire. It's a moment where people feel satisfied about Taco Bell. Say something compelling to people who love tacos. There you are. What did that cost? You were already going to print that label anyway. You already print that taco wrapper anyway. You might as well use it to say something interesting. So it doesn't have to be expensive. It just needs to be thought out. James Ellis, everybody. Speaking of saying something interesting, James, we appreciate the time. For those that want to learn more, buy your book, listen to your podcast, uh, just generally connect with you, where would you send them? So go to employerbrand.news. I think I link to everything from there. It's the easiest way to sign up for the newsletter, to go look at the book. You can buy it on Amazon, but I made it open source and freely available as the Google Doc from which I wrote it. So you can just go ahead and look at it. Just go to uh, employerbrandbook.com, but I link to it from that. The podcast is the talent cast. I link to it there. Um, we're super pumped that, you know, this is the, you know, we get to re- revisit the book by doing it as an audiobook and kind of saying, hey, I've learned a little bit in the last three years since I wrote it the first time. Let me add on to this book. So I've had a lot of people say they enjoyed the book, but getting to hear me talk about it literally as I'm thinking about it is, is a whole different experience. So hopefully that's it's useful to people. Always a pleasure, James. Julie, Thanks, that's Joel. another one in the can. Wonderful. We out. Thank you for listening to, what's it called? The podcast. The chat. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho, pepper jack, Swiss. So many cheeses and not one word. So weird. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! 
We'd never admit it, but deep down, we all get at least some pleasure from bad things happening to somebody we don't like. History's full of stories about bitter enemies being mutually horrible. Usually nothing good comes of it. But sometimes, sometimes, you get soul singers James Brown and Joe Tex, or 17th century nun Sor Juana and the entire Catholic Church duking it out and dramatically changing our world. On Beef with Bridget Todd, we tell the stories of those petty feuds behind some of the greatest art, innovation, and global events. Listen to Beef wherever you get your podcasts.